You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is J.D. Roth from Get Rich Slowly, and this is the What's Up Next podcast. Hi, this is Jim Wang from Wallet Hacks, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Welcome to What's Up Next, where your hosts, Paul David Thompson and Doc G, take the discussion on topics in the financial independence movement to the next level. Guest panelists share their opinion to questions that don't have clear answers to help you refine your path to financial independence. Welcome. This is Paul David Thompson. And this is Doc G. So, Paul Thompson... What's up next? Well, hey, Doc, we have two guests today, and we're going to be asking the question, why start a curation site? So we'll let each of them give us a quick introduction. They run their own curation sites, and we'll just kind of really pull out the thread of what that is all about. But first, let's just give a quick introduction so we know who we're talking to. JD, what's going on? Hey, thanks for having me on. My name is JD Roth, and I founded GetRichSlowly.org, not .com, back in 2006 to document my journey out of debt, sold the site, bought it back, and now I'm writing about how to, no longer about how to get out of debt, but how to take control of your financial life and uh, be a money boss. My name is Jim Wang. I run a site called Wallet Hacks, and it's sort of my journey through managing my own finances. So it's more targeted towards young professionals and newer families, because that's sort of a life space that I'm in right now. Jim, let's start with you. And this is a relatively basic question, but we hear it all the time. We hear curation all the time in our space. What does that exactly mean to curate? To curate. So when I think about it, it's when you're reading a lot and you want to pick out the best of the best and you want to discover what's really new. And curation that me and JD are doing at Apex Money is a way for us to showcase other people's work. And in some cases, when we think our work you know, meets that very high standard, because it's, there's so much stuff out there, you can't possibly read it all. And there's going to be stuff that falls through the cracks. And we want to try to shine a spotlight on the really good stuff that's out there. JD, Jim just said you can't read it all. And the truth of the matter is we actually had four guests line up for this panel and two of the guests wrote back just very briefly ago and said, you know what? We decided not to continue with the site. And part of the reason was is because it was hard. We think innately that writing and blogging is hard as it is. Isn't curation pretty difficult too? Curation can be difficult. It's like any skill. If it's something you've been doing for a while, it's not as difficult as it might be for somebody else. If you've been lifting weights for a while, you're better at it than somebody who's just starting out, right? And in my case, because I'm so old and because I've been blogging since before blog was even a word, I have this experience curating because it's something I've done for 22 years, almost 23 I've been looking for other websites, looking for other videos, looking for podcasts, and we're trying to share these with people. 
So my philosophy has always been to be try to share all the great stuff that I find from around the web. And because I've been doing this for so long, I built those muscles and I know how much time and effort it takes. And so when I go into it, I guess maybe I, I understand what I'm getting myself into maybe. And so it's not as onerous for me. Jim, talk about why curation sites are important. I mean, aren't we all kind of self-curators? I mean, don't we all have our list of favorite places that we go? And don't we kind of do that on our own a little bit? We do, but each of our lists of favorite sites is different, right? A lot of it's based on where you are in your life. And so one of the reasons why I asked JD if he'd want to do this with me is because I know he reads sites that I don't, and I probably read sites that he doesn't. And the key idea is to find the best. And so if you're always looking at the same stuff, you're going to find good stuff, but it'll be same and similar because the bloggers that you like to read, they're going to be writing about in their own space. And so you know, whenever you're reading anything, you're thinking, is this good? Do you like it? And whatnot. And sometimes you share it on your own site and social media and all that. But having one place is a good starting point to be able to see, to be able to pick out gems. And then what happens is if you like something, often you will subscribe to their newsletter. You'll follow them on social media. And then now they join the sort of the pantheon of sites that you read. And that's what we're trying to accomplish is just get more out there. And not everything will fit for everyone, but when it does, it's like finding a, a jewel. And so it's fun. I think this is a great point. And for me, I think of it as like trying to cast a wide net. I'm actually curating at three or four different levels now, which is, I think, kind of hilarious when I think about it. Like the broad, very, very wide net where I'm just like looking at hundreds of different sites every day, just briefly, just superficially, because obviously there's no way I could dive deep. And then of those, uh, we use pinboard.in to bookmark basically the things we think are best. So that's the next level or the first level of curation, I guess. I guess the first level is that wide net where I'm reading all the different sites. The second level is pinboard. And when I bookmark something into pinboard and I tag it with Get Rich Slowly, it posts on Get Rich Slowly. I have a little section where it shares the 10 most recent links that I've bookmarked. And then from there, the next level down is Apex Money, the site that Jim and I are doing where we share maybe 15, 20, 25 different things a week. And then I niche down even further because for the uh, Get Rich Slowly email newsletter, I share like the three or four absolute best things I've found during the week. So I've got these multiple levels of curation. It's like a funnel almost. Jim, this sounds like a lot of work. Are you reading more than ever now that you've started a curation site? Yes, way more because it's kind of like work. You got to put in the work to be able to find the good articles, podcasts, videos. So I'm reading a lot more than I used to and I'm casting a wider net. I think what I've learned from JD is that curation, I mean, I always knew it was hard, but you have to just cast such a wide net to be able to find enough good stuff to share because not everyone's going to have something. So what I like to read are things that make me think. And what happens is as content creators, we're not always writing sort of those philosophical, like a mental approach type of article. Sometimes it's a how-to sometimes it's a review. And so often when I see that, I can go, okay, I'm not looking for a product review or how to start a Roth IRA right now. So it's a lot more reading. But what's good is those are the things where people often share very personal stories. And when you connect with them, it's like you start reading. As you're reading, you're thinking about how it applies to you. And that's why, I mean, I like doing it because I'm reading a lot more of those than I've ever been. JD, is the reader experience different? I mean, is there any benefit from going directly to someone's site and discovering their content there through being funneled through a curation site? Is it a different experience? Are there any benefits or problems by doing it through a curation site? That's an interesting question, and I don't have a good answer for it. 
But I can say what I think the curation site helps you do is discover sites that you might not otherwise find. And so if we bookmark something at Apex Money from, for example, the Financial Mechanic, which is a site that both Jim and I like, if we bookmark something from Jessica and you've never heard of her and you go to her site for the one article we'd link to and you're interested, then you're going to say, well, what else has she written? Let's, let's take a look at the financial mechanic as a whole. And so I think the advantage of following a curation site is the discovery thing. We're actively out there looking to discover great material for people. And it's stuff that we like, obviously, but we, it's stuff we think that other people will like too. And we're trying to help facilitate the discovery. And in a way, what I think of it like is in the early days of the web, back when Jim and I started long, long ago, when the world was young, there was a lot of linking around. There was a lot of discovery. Everyone was like searching for stuff. And now it's much harder and we tend to have our favorites and we get in these ruts. And so what we're trying to do is facilitate this discovery, I think. I think the best analogy for this is if you think of a concert, you have artists that have a concert and they have maybe the, the whatever the other artists that are there. But then you have festivals like music festivals where you get mm. all these great, it's essentially, it's a curated list of performers that maybe follow a theme, maybe not, but they're all going to be good. That's when you can discover someone new that maybe in a year or two will be big and you can say how you saw them at whatever festival. But that's how I see what we're doing is that you get the best and you put them together and it's not necessarily better or worse than following an individual, but you may find an individual like, oh, I really like the music. What else have they done before? Now you, you go down sort of that rabbit hole and you discover, all right, I really like, in JD's case, Taylor Swift. And now you listen to all their stuff, <laughs> all their articles, and you only discover them because of the festival. And so that's, that's how I see the two. They both have value. So JD, you know, in my mind, especially when I first began creating content, I set up a dichotomy in my mind. And the dichotomy was there is creation and there's curation. And I thought of them as two very separate, different things. Is that a false dichotomy? I think it is. Absolutely. So for me, curation is a part of creation. I just wrote an article about this at Get Rich. I don't remember what the actual topic was, so I can't point you to it. There's a book called How to Read a Book by uh, Mortimer Adler. And it's I think it was originally published in the 30s or 40s. And there was a newer edition in the 80s or 90s. And in it, he talks about these different levels of reading from basic, just looking at the sentence and the mechanics and then comprehension and then thinking deeply. And then he talks about synoptic reading where with synoptic reading, you're reading several different books at a time and you're bringing all the ideas from these books together and mixing them in your head and getting more out of it. And so for me, when I write an article, I think my best articles are the ones that bring in all these disparate threads and curation helps with that. So the more I read from other people, the better my articles become, the better my creation becomes. And Jim, before we talk about Apex itself, I just want to give people out there an idea, especially if people who are thinking of going into curation, talk a little bit about the time difference of you as a blog creator, someone who's writing articles on a regular basis versus you as a curator. Are you spending more or less time on curation than you would on just writing content? On the actual, just the mechanics of the writing for Apex money, it's shorter, but I'm reading more. I'm inputting more. Whereas if I'm doing a blog post, I might have a research component where I have to like go to different sites and, and whatnot. The consumption part is much higher in curation because you have to go through so much in order to find things that you really want to share. So they're two separate processes, but there is a little bit of overlap. So it's not like it's completely quote unquote, wasted effort that doesn't apply to both sides. But I think curation is a lot more input than most people expect. And part of it is there's a sense of responsibility. You don't want to read just the same sites, share the same sites because you're not doing the audience a service 
in that. Plus, people also will recognize it and will say, oh, they're just sharing their friend's stuff and this isn't where I'm really going to find gems. We're just going to find the same, same old stuff. So I'm also a little bit curious, Jim, a second ago, you mentioned that this was, I think, your idea and you brought JD in. Did I hear that right? I mean, the idea of curation is not, quote unquote, mine. But Apex money was, was your idea. Yeah. It's your- so I approached JD. Well, what I wanted to add earlier when Jim was talking about the mechanics that he goes through, I've been curating, actively curating, ever since I reacquired Get Rich Slowly in the fall of 2017. I thought that Get Rich Slowly was going to be a curation blog exclusively. That's what I thought I was going to do with it when I reacquired it. So I've been doing this for two years. So I have a process that I've been using for those two years. And that is every morning over coffee, right now is when I would normally be doing the curation. I go through my list of sources and I just scan it briefly. I look, oh, this is sound interesting. This is sound interesting. And I open anything that might be interesting in a new window. And then once I've gone through the entire list, then I go through each of these potentially interesting articles one by one by one. And I read them. And some of them, it's, it's, it's easy to see, oh, this isn't as interesting as the headline promised or the, the excerpt promised. And I put them away. And eventually, so if I have 200, 250 sources that I'm looking at in the morning, I probably open 20 or 25. And of that, maybe 10 proof promising and five get bookmarked. And these are just arbitrary numbers I'm pulling off my head. And then that takes maybe half an hour, an hour every morning. And it's something I enjoy. It's me waking up, drinking my coffee, and I'm seeing what other people are doing. And then the actual curation process for Apex Money, that's my Sunday morning thing. I spend probably two, two and a half hours then going through the things that the, the links that I've bookmarked for the week and writing up the article or the post for Apex Money creating the blurbs, figuring out, oh, is there a specific theme that I can pull from some of these? Because I try to make theme posts when I can. So overall, I would say it doesn't take a lot of time, maybe eight hours a week tops, but probably closer to four. And it's just a matter of sitting down and doing it. But for me, because I've been doing it for two years in a systemized way, I have a routine. Jim, let's transition a little to the Apex Money brand. How did you come up with the name? I had the domain. I mean, Apex, it's top of the mountain. We want to, you know, top of the heap. So we wanted to use that and it felt like a natural name. And JD, what hole in the market do you think Apex Money fills? Well, I don't know if it fills any hole necessarily. There are several other uh, curation sites out there, but I guess most of your listeners are probably familiar with uh, Rockstar Finance, which for a long time was the curation site that everyone in the personal finance blogging community and just kind of personal finance blog readers as a whole, that's where we went to get our daily dose of links. But that site has apparently gone into hibernation or maybe even died. That was the actual impetus. I mean, Jim sent me a Facebook message, said, hey, Rockstar's dead. Should we try to do something to not compete, but fill the gap? So I'm curious, you both are known as very accomplished writers in your own right. How is running a curation site feel different from your own native brands of Get Rich Solely and Wallet Hacks? It feels different because there's less of uh, my personal story going mm. into the articles and it feels more fun because it's like driving someone else's race car when you don't have, I don't have a race car, but you know what I mean? Like <laughs> you're driving someone else and then you get to like have fun with it and yeah, there's more of a freedom. What's also fun for me is just working with JD on something and just seeing his process firsthand and just talking and thinking about it because it's one thing to just share ideas. It's another to actually actively work on a project together. So that's, right. I enjoy that. Yeah. I mean, for me, Jim is right. There's less of my story. In a way, there's less of my personality at Apex Money, but there's also more of my personality. It's kind of hard to describe. Jim and I have been, we've only been doing this for two, two and a half months. 
And as we figure out what we're doing, we're constantly messaging each other and saying, hey, is it okay if we do this at the site? Is it okay if we do that? And so it's an example. At Get Rich Solely, if I swear, it's very, very rarely. In real life, I swear like a sailor. And so I contacted Jim and I said, uh, do we swear at Apex Money? He's like, sure. I'm like, all right. So I don't swear like a sailor at Apex Money, but I do swear sometimes. And profanity is allowed. Also politics. In my real life, I'm not very political either, although I have opinions. But at Get Rich Solely, I try to steer clear. And so I would tend to not bring in political articles at Get Rich Solely just because I don't want controversy. But I've asked Jim, I'm like, hey, this article is overtly political. Do we share it? And he's like, yes. And so our philosophy, Jim and I share pretty similar political views in real life. But our philosophy is we're going to share an article if it's good and makes you think regardless of which side of the political fence it falls on. We're not going to just share liberal articles because we tend to be liberal ourselves. We're going to share conservative articles too if they make you think and if they make valid points. Jim, I'm interested in this idea of bringing your personality out. I could see that in your previous brands with your previous websites that you might toe the line a little bit in what you say. In the theming of your different curation posts, does it give you more freedom to express yourself? I think so. And I think when JD said that you share, there are instances where you share less and instances where you share more. I think it shows a lot when you share the stuff that you're reading and the stuff that you find interesting. So on Wallet Hacks, I sometimes, maybe like once a month, write something that is of a personal nature, maybe more than that. I publish only twice a week, so it's only eight opportunities. On Apex, I feel like I could just share whatever, whenever. The, in the, the intro is really where you can put a little bit more story in, and, but also just the things that I read. I love reading certain types of articles for fun, and it has nothing, it has like an ancillary, I guess it's personal finance adjacent is the term that JD once used with me. And it'll be things about like how a guy like figured out horse gambling or horse races and, and gambling on them in, I don't know, in like Hong Kong or something. And so it's not really personal fun, but those are the fascinating stories that I like to read. And I think my, maybe that's where the personality gets to shine and, and what I pick. And GD, what I've seen is that you do not really have kind of like best of the web posts, right? Almost everything seems to be themed. Is that on purpose? Yes and no. It's kind of accidental. So what I'm trying to do is best of the web, but if I sense themes like I've collected, say on Sunday morning, I go and I look at what I've got and I have four articles on housing, well, then I'm going to make a theme post about housing. I don't know why, it's just how my brain works. I don't know whether it's good or bad to do that, but it's what I do. And Jim, tell me a little bit about what you've noticed about your different styles. I would assume that curation looks different depending on which one of you is curating at the time. JD is very whimsical, I think. And you can definitely see that he's having a lot of fun in the curation process. And not that I'm not having fun, but yeah, I don't know if there's an easy way to pinpoint JD's more like this and I'm more like that in terms of what we like to read in, in curation. But I think stories, I like more the long form stories that don't mm-hmm. necessarily have a point. The point is it gives you insight into a world that you didn't already have or that you may have had like very little knowledge about. I love reading stuff like that. So one of the things was that the horse racing example is like, I don't gamble on horses. Like I know how it works, but I don't do it. But the fact that someone, someone, I mean like a brilliant mathematician figured out how to break horse racing was just absolutely fascinating. And JD, do you see stylistic differences between the two of you? I think Jim's analysis that my posts tend to be whimsical. I wouldn't have put it like that, but I think that's spot on. For me, Apex Money is a place for me to play and to have fun and to share stuff that can be silly at times. And that's not that Jim's not silly because he's actually very silly. But yeah, I don't know. 
there is different stylistic stuff. I think Jim is one of the smartest and deepest thinkers I know. And I think that's reflected in the articles that he chooses. And when he says that he tends to want like long form stuff, it's absolutely correct. So, so far at Apex, uh, we've done about two, two and a half months. And I did the first two months before I went on my trip and jumped on the last two weeks. But even though I was the primary curator during that first two months, Jim's curating. He's sending me stuff all the time. And so it's getting this stuff in the mix. And we talk about, oh, should we include this article? Should we not? So even though we're saying that, oh, are there different personalities? It's really kind of a mix of the personalities most of the time. And Jim, is it comfortable to post articles that you maybe feel are a dissenting opinion or opinion you don't agree with? Do you feel like that's an important part of curation is to maybe include information that doesn't necessarily connect with you personally? Yes. If I think it's well thought out and well explained and in anything, you know, everyone always feels like their point of view is correct, but it's hard for you to actually know if you feel that if you're actually correct, unless you know what the the arguments are on the quote unquote other side. You've got to challenge yourself. Yeah. And so when JD referenced, oh, do we share political things? It was actually a very conservative argument was the article that he was sharing. And I was like, oh, because, you know, online tends to skew a little more liberal. Like, are you going to upset people? And I'm like, no, like this was a very well-written article that explained the points of the argument. You may not agree with any of them. You might agree with some of them and be surprised, but it informs you of your own views. Everyone thinks they're right, but most of the time they're not. And so you need to know why someone else feels the other way. Because everyone's, I mean, they're thinking logically also, or maybe emotionally, but whatever the case may be, understanding an argument from the other perspective is extremely valuable. And if it's well-written so that when you read it, you get it, that's even better. I agree. I think that one thing I like about working with Jim is I think he and I both tend to be open-minded and we try to be broad-minded. And I'm sure we fail many, many times, but because we're open-minded, we're willing to consider other viewpoints and to read things that on the surface we would disagree with. And my hope is that with Apex, we do kind of share balance, even if it goes against what we believe ourselves. Jim, is there a certain litmus test? Because what we're talking about are articles that may not connect with you specifically, but might connect with your audience. I know it's a difficult question, but are there certain types of articles that you know will connect with the community, even if they're not necessarily ones that that directly relate to you or your content? That's a tough question. Being that we've only been doing it for about two and a half months, And everyone will always tell you, oh, what you're doing is great because everyone's very nice and very polite. But obviously not every day where we curate this list, will it resonate with an individual? Just because, you know, if if you're never interested in buying a house or in the housing industry and JD sends a themed one that's based on housing, like it's going to be a pass. But at its core, I think I need to have in my mind an avatar of a person who would be interested in this article. And it may not be me. But I can see whether it's one of my friends in real life or another blogger or someone I know online. If I can picture someone reading this and afterwards saying, Jim, thanks for sharing this with me, then that's, that's a litmus test. Now, there's no quantifiable stats what that litmus test really looks like in real life, but that's sort of what I go through in my head. Jim, you know, I remember about Rockstar Finance that one of the things that you would hear in the background is there was always criticism on the choices they made. I know it's still early in the game for you, but have you gotten criticism for including certain articles that maybe some of your community didn't agree with, or do you foresee that as an issue in the future? The only time I've gotten a criticism was when we shared a video that included Jordan Peterson, and yeah, someone didn't like that. I wasn't aware that that happened. And see, Jordan Peterson uh, is a conservative commentator, and but see, I think he makes some excellent points. I don't agree with his political views, but man, I agree with a lot of what he says. 
and you know that'll happen. But here's the thing: that means the person that's reading it cares. Very few people ever criticize with their name on it. They may do it anonymously, they may whatever, but when people give you that feedback, it's like, okay, I understand that you don't agree with the views. And what the person was upset about was the fact that we gave him more publicity, right? And not necessarily arguing the points of the video, which is fine. But at its core, I thought the video was valuable to listen to, even if you disagreed. And we take that to heart, but it doesn't, you know, it will influence, but not significantly. Unless they come with a really good criticism. It's like, oh, I didn't think about it from that perspective. Yeah. If it's a valid criticism other than I just disagree with this person. If somebody said, oh, you shouldn't have shared this because of, I don't know. I can't even think of it a good example right now. Because the information is bad. If the information in the what we share is wrong, then I'm like, oh, okay, we made a mistake. We shouldn't have done that. Jim, I'm interested in your response to this because it was something we certainly faced in this podcast. How do you respond when they say, we don't want you to promote this platform? Do you listen to them? Do you politely say, I hear your point of view, but it's important to open up to all voices? How do you respond to that? I would try to understand why. And if it's politically motivated, then I'm like, I'm sorry. You know, It is important to listen to other perspectives and this will only make your argument stronger. And people are always going to be upset and you can't let that drive what you do or influence it ahead of time. We curate for a reason. And if we can't go back and defend why we thought it was really good, then maybe that's something to look at later. But if we can, and I think we can for all the things that we shared, you know, sorry. And this is something that I've had to wrestle with at Get Rich Solely for 13 years is every once in a while, I will share something from somebody that is not popular or that people think is a bad human being. And my personal philosophy is I try to separate the message from the messenger. And yes, there are some absolutely despicable people. They might have some interesting things to say. And if they have interesting things to say, I'm going to share those things. I'm not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And I know this is not necessarily a popular opinion, but I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to find this interesting and entertaining information. And if it's coming from somebody that I don't agree with or there are issues with their platform, I don't care. I mean, maybe that makes me a bad person, but that's my philosophy. Do you have a predetermined line in the sand where you won't cross? Or is it, are you refining this as you go and deciding along the way? When people call me out on this, in the email that I reply with, I always say, look, if Hitler had good financial advice, I would share the financial advice from Hitler. And I'm dead serious. So I'm not just going to rule people out just because of who they are. It's what is the advice? What is the information they're conveying? So Jim, let's transition a little bit. It is September 9th, 2019, and we had discussed, as of today, Rockstar Finance is not on the web. Talk a little bit about the role Rockstar Finance played as a place for curation and what it means for it not to be there. It's sad. I thought it was sad. When J Money started it, I fully supported it, thought it was a lot of fun and was happy as it grew and grew. And it was a thrill to get linked from it. And it made me probably get better at writing because I knew someone was watching. If I did a really good job, I could get you know a link in Rockstar. And that was very exciting. And as it changed hands... I guess twice, the second time it changed hands. It kind of grew a little bit out of the original goal, but it was still fine. I still liked it. And so when it disappeared, it was like a void. And it felt sad that this thing that was started and and it itself was cared for. Yeah, that vacuum there, it's been inactive for long before, or you know, a couple months now before we started Apex. And I was like, I wanted to go back to its roots and try to recreate that fun and that energy. 
And a lot of people have asked, why did you start Apex Money or why did you and JD come together? And I said, one, it's fun to try to find the best stuff, but it's also fun to share other people's articles and podcasts. So they used to say there was the rock star effect when you got that burst of traffic. I was like, you know what? I want to create that again and be able to like just drop like little pockets of traffic to folks, especially when they're new and they're brand new. And I think they have absolutely stuff and they're not getting the attention that maybe I think they deserve or that JD thinks they deserve. And just give them a boost to get them through sort of like the plateaus that naturally happen in any any sort of business or blog. All right. So most of us know the bad news already. If you were using Mint as a budgeting app, it has shut down. But the good news is there's something better and it's called Monarch Money. I started using Monarch Money myself about five months ago and I knew immediately that I liked it more than any other budgeting app I had ever used. For one, it focuses on collaboration. This is easy to share with your spouse, your partner, your financial advisor, and it's aspirational. Not only can you look at your current budget, but what do you want to buy? What do you want your goals to be? You can focus on those in Monarch Money. It's the next generation of personal finance apps. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Furthermore, you can create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. Again, that's monarchmoney.com slash E-A-R-N. What I like about this app is it's intuitive, easy to use, quick to sign on. It's collaborative, as we talked about. It's customizable. The idea is you can use this app the way you want to use it. And the reason why is the Monarch Money team is customer-focused. They are focusing on you, me, and all the other people who want to use this app to live a better financial life. After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. You know what? I love our meals from Factor. My son started getting them about a year ago when he needed a quick alternative to meals on the go. But where we've really enjoyed them is we've been remodeling our kitchen. That's right. We've had no access to our kitchen for the last few weeks. And some nights we just had no idea what to do for a meal. That is where Factor came in. We would just pop the meal in the microwave and two minutes later we'd have a fantastic meal. You can do the exact same thing, and there's tons of variety. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week. These are chef-prepared meals, and let me tell you, they are delicious. No fuss, no mess. You just put it in the microwave, and two minutes later... You have a meal. This is tailored to your schedule. You can customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Head to factormeals.com slash earn50 and use your code earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code earn50 at factormeals.com slash earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. JD, what has Rockstar Finance meant in your journey in, in personal finance? So I sold Get Rich Slowly in 2009 
and uh, stopped writing for it in 2012 and went through this period where I was not paying attention to uh, personal finance sites. So I was absent for much of Rockstar's heyday. So it was never as big in my life as it was for many others. But that said, when I started Money Boss in 2015, I did start paying attention to Rockstar and I enjoyed it. And when I reacquired Get Rich Slowly in 2017 and started doing this curation thing, Rockstar was one of my sources. So one secret about curation is when you curate, you actually go to all the other curation sites because they've already filtered things for you. And so Rockstar was a valuable tool for me because I could go there and know that there would be three or four links every day that John or Kat or whoever was doing the curation had already filtered. And I, kn- I knew that it had pa- these articles had passed some bar of quality already. So in that regard, I'm very sad that it's gone. Jim, talk to me a little bit about the joy of celebrating other people's content and how you can do that with a curation site. If you link to them and hopefully send them a few more eyeballs and then they get excited, then you get excited. And it's not a very difficult job for us. And what's also good is that as you share their stuff, they'll share the fact that they were shown on Apex and they get excited. I don't know. It's, it's just different than, say, linking to a site from your own blog. It's like people are reading Apex every day. And, you know, every day they're, they're getting this and they're looking forward to it. It's just, I don't know, it's a lot of fun. This was the thing that surprised me the most about Apex is just like linking to people and how happy they were. And we were linking them because it was really good. And they know it was really good, but maybe it didn't get enough attention or the attention was early on. And now it's sort of just another blog post in their, in their archives. So that's the part. When JD went on his trip and I got to curate for two weeks, now that he, he's going to take over sometime this week, I was like, hey, instead of just you doing it, can we swap off weeks? Because I kind of like, I got... You like that. I got addicted to that. And I was like, I don't want to give this up. So maybe we can swap instead of going you 100%. Yeah. And for me, I love the joy of this too. There are certain sites in our community that are very large and get a lot of attention. And that's great. Usually the sites that get a lot of attention get a lot of attention for a reason. But I think that this means many of the smaller sites and especially the newer sites get skipped. People don't notice them. Or if they go there, they just go there briefly. So if Jim and I are able to see some of these newer sites and try to help promote them and say, hey, look, this person over here that you might not know about just wrote this amazing thing or put up this amazing video. That makes me happy because then we're like spreading the love and showing, look, this community is larger than just three, well, the 30 biggest blogs or whatever. There's a lot of stuff out there. JD, I'm going to ask you this and I'll ask Jim the same thing. Can you remember the first time something you wrote ended up on a popular curation site and it just blew you up or just made you feel really good? Yes, absolutely. So I'm going to give two examples. The origin story of Get Rich Slowly is tied up in this. So as I said, I've been blogging since before blog was even a word. And I have my personal site that I've had for a long, long time where I was writing in the early 2000s. I was writing about cats and computers and comic books because those were the things I loved. Well, I was trying to get out of debt. I went to the library, borrowed a bunch of books on money. And to synthesize and to process, I wrote an article called Get Rich Slowly. That was the name of the article. And I said, you know, There seems to be a common theme in these books, and that is there's no reliable way to get rich quickly, but there is a reliable way to get rich slowly, blah, blah, blah. And for whatever reason, in 2004, that article got picked up by some big sites back then, Boing Boing, Lifehacker, all these other things. It went the 2004 version of viral. And then when a couple of years later, when I'm thinking about, oh, I want to start a site and I want to start a site about personal finance, I remembered that and how it resonated with people. And so I chose the name Get Rich Slowly. And then I also remember the very first article that went viral at Get Rich Slowly because it's just this random, random thing. It was me curating somebody else about 
how to win at a claw machine, those arcade <laughs> machines where there's a claw that goes down and gets a stuffed animal. <laughs> Somebody else had written about it, so I shared it. I'm essentially curating. And then it went big on Dig. Dig used to be this massive, massive platform, the equivalent of Reddit today, basically. And it made it to the top of Dig and just basically destroyed my site, but also gave me a ton of new readers. And so that was an amazing thing. Yeah, I feel like Apex Money is one of those big claw machines picking out the good ones, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and putting them out every day. Jim, can you remember the same time where you had something show up on a curation site and it blew you up or just brought you a lot of joy to know someone else had finally seen you? Yeah. So the one that I remember is not as exciting, but I remember it was Dig and it had to do with Amazon used to have a price drop policy. And the article was very simply just explaining how it worked. They don't have it anymore, but I just remember just waking up and someone had you know, dig back then was, yeah, it was social, it was, uh, you know, bookmarking and voting, right? So the dig effect, it was just insane. Like I, I couldn't even fathom that many people just coming to a site that I ran. And it's something that I'm like, oh, well, if we could just capture a fraction of that, especially when we're not even, we don't even have voting or anything on Apex. It's just right. us. We're the puppet masters, so to speak. I remember just giving me a boost because you go through those lulls where, you have to just keep going and you don't necessarily have any wins to celebrate. It didn't result in, you know, significantly more income or anything like that because back then dig visitors weren't as sticky. It gave me that shot in the arm. I was like, all right, this can happen again and it can happen on other sites and you just keep going. But, but the thing of it is, even though the dig visitors weren't sticky, there's enough volume. An example I would give is I'm guessing that, so this article I think was June, 2006, the claw machine article. And maybe I was getting a thousand visitors a day, maybe. And on that day, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but my memory is 30, 40, 50,000. And it could have been as many as a hundred thousand people came through. It was huge. It was huge. And after that, my traffic was up at three or 4,000 a day. So it wasn't very sticky at all, but it was enough that it doubled or tripled my traffic in just one day, my persistent traffic. Those wins are huge, especially when you're starting off. That would be awesome if we could do that with Apex, make the Apex yes. effect like yes. that. So let's talk about the listeners who are listening to this and will hopefully become some of your readers of these articles that you guys are curating. Talk to them about why they should be using Apex Money as part of their new feed, hopefully the replacement of Rockstar Finance if they were into that. Or, I mean, a lot of people don't actually know that there are creation sites. They're doing it themselves. Why go to Apex Money first? So for me, I feel like we're doing our darndest to filter and find the top articles, the best articles that are out there. And not just articles, but podcasts and videos too. And we are trying to cast a wide net. And whereas Rockstar Finance was almost exclusively about bloggers, and we want to promote bloggers too, we're trying to look at mainstream media too, because there's some good stuff out there in the mainstream media, especially on the, I don't want to call it the edges, but to me, it's not the mainstream financial media that has the interesting financial pieces. It's generally more like the deeper, thinkier magazines and publications. So I have to really restrain myself from bookmarking stuff at the Atlantic Monthly because for whatever reason, they're nailing the personal finance content. They just got some really interesting, deep articles. And so I think your listeners should come check us out because we're really trying to share stuff that does make you think and also entertains at the same time. And I like to say that we send the email every morning and it's the list of the links, usually with an excerpt, sometimes with a couple lines from us on why we think it's great. Right. Not always, but it's very quick. And so you can scan through and, and if it resonates, I think you click through. If not, then you wait for the next day. And I always try to add something a little fun at the end that, yeah. that applies to 
anyone and just to make it a little a little more entertaining so that you don't always get like the medicine it's more it's more candy too yeah i like to include goofy stuff at the end too like uh there was a stranger things video i included once that had nothing to do with money and it's just fun and i think jim's right that we do try to keep it brief one thing I like that we do differently is with Rockstar Finance, it was just a, a list of links. And I think maybe it showed where the website, what website it was from. But with us, we are trying to provide an excerpt and maybe a sentence of commentary to let you know what is this article that I'm about to click through to and why was it picked. So normally we ask the same question at the end. So we started off with why start a curation site, but I think we've satisfactorily answered that in this conversation. So I'm going to do a little curveball and ask you guys, what will be your measure of success for Apex Money as the closing question? Jim and I have talked about like, do we want the site to make money? Do we, I mean, we want it to grow. We, we're always sharing how many subscribers we have. But for me personally, I just want this to be an outlet. It's almost like a catharsis right now. I'm like, oh my gosh, I found so many amazing things today. Here's a chance to share it with people. So we recently got back from FinCon, which is the uh, conference where people who write about money go to uh, hang out. So for me, the one measure of success there was people coming up and saying, I like what you're doing. And as Jim said earlier, that's not necessarily a measure of success because they want to be positive towards you. But then they would tell me the articles they liked that we were linking to. And they would say, I like that you're linking to deeper articles. You're not just giving the, the surface stuff and that you are, are exploring this uh, wider array of stuff. You're trying to cast a wide net. And so the people who came up and obviously read the site could tell us or could tell me why they liked it. That was some measure of success. But other than that, I don't have a real barometer or target that I'm aiming for. Maybe Jim does. I don't know. It's funny. I don't have an idea of what is success. What would make Apex successful outside of what JD said of just people coming up and giving specific reasons why they liked it. And, oh, I really enjoyed XYZ. I think because success is more from the output side. I like putting together these posts and wrapping it all. It's like a nice little bow on a piece. And so it's, it's more of the craft of it and less of the result and how people feel. Though, I mean, it's going, that's, always going to be important because if you're doing a good job, more people subscribe, they'll share it with their friends and whatnot. So that those are always positive. I guess just continual growth and response from the community saying they like it. And if we ever mess it up and Apex goes down, I hope the next story will be someone creating a curation site because Apex was so powerful. I love that. Hopefully that doesn't happen. Right. And I would add from the outside, what I love about Apex Money as well as other curation sites is they are explicitly about community. So when we do our blogs and we write about our own topics, there's always this self-promotion part. So it's really nice to go somewhere and see you guys promoting other people continuously. Um, and I know as a reader, uh, it's something I really appreciate. And I think it makes sense, the stage of your, I'll call it a career for lack of a better term, that this fits naturally into your season of life. And it is your way of giving back if whether or not you necessarily mean it that way, but we all want to have some kind of contribution to a community we, we believe in. And you still have, you both have successful sites, but this seems natural. So I think it's a, a very good add-on to the community. Thanks. Uh, and I will say that I'm very vocal at FinCon and in other forums that I feel like bloggers as a whole, and that would apply now to podcasters and to uh, YouTubers, used to be much better about sharing and promoting each other's work. And there seems to be less of that nowadays. And so for me, at least, Apex is a way to overtly put my money where my mouth is, I guess, or to make it action and not words. Even at Get Rich Solely, I try to link to other people whenever I can. But Apex is absolutely a way to try to not be a hypocrite, I guess, to share and promote other people's work. 
Okay, well, then let's tell folks how to get to Apex Money. I'll give each of you a chance to answer the question of what is up next and how do we find you? Yeah, just head over to apexmoney.com. Check out what we have in the archives. See if it's right for you or where you think it is. And then you can just click to subscribe. It's pretty simple. And what's brewing next in your life? What, what do you got going on you'd like to share? Just working on Apex Money and Wallet Hacks, trying to grow them both. And, and the focus recently has been on Apex because it's, it's just so much fun to do. And hopefully we can get to more readers. JD, same question for you. What's up next? What's up next for me? Well, this is actually kind of exciting because today, maybe even after this call, I am supposed to sign a contract with audible.com and the great courses to produce a five hour course on, it's an introduction to financial independence and early retirement. So what's up next for me? I hope, assuming this contract comes through and gets signed, will be this course, which should come out in the spring. This has been the What's Up Next podcast. We'd like to thank Jim Wang and J.D. Roth and RIP Rockstar Finance. If you would like to get updates on what Doc and I are thinking up next, you can text the word NEXT to 345-345 so you can get notified of free giveaways, opportunities to engage with the What's Up Next podcast, and maybe even be a guest on the podcast. We're adding consistent content to our Facebook group, and you can get access by texting the word NEXT to the number 345-345. That's a wrap. That's it. Post-FinCon day one, you know we're going to have technical difficulties. (laughs) I think our synapses in our brains are working like our computers are working right now. Yeah, yeah. Now that JD is like, yeah, man, that's a narrow topic. (laughs) How are you going to spend 50 minutes out of that? (laughs) (laughs) Just you watch and wait. That's how. I think it's an interesting topic. Yeah. That's why we're, what's up next? It's those next level conversations. Anyone can just talk about how you, how you index. Yeah. (laughs) We're going to talk about curation. (laughs) What is curation after all? (laughs) And otherwise, as you guys know, we record the video. We don't generally use it. Um, In fact, we never use it. The reason why we have you on video is so that we can interact and get a better quality conversation. And I think that's smart. I want to say that. I like it. Awesome. You think it's smart not putting out the video or just the facial stuff? (laughs) No. Well, probably both. (laughs) No. no. Okay. I, I do have one thing that I should let you know, and that is I have a hound dog. She is asleep right now. But she she probably will not be asleep for much longer, and she will. She's going to bark at some point, probably. Yeah, and that's fine. Happen. The only thing is, we might ask you to repeat whatever you just said if it if it disrupts it. Fair uh, and then we'll just cut it out and then make relentless fun on you in the bloopers. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, any comparison to curation and music has to bring in JD's love for. Taylor Swift. So any conversation with JD has to bring in Taylor Swift. So I'm glad we got that as part of the podcast. (laughs) Yeah. And if I were to just, if I were curating only the things I absolutely love most, I would just bookmark the bitches get riches all the time. (laughs) They're my my favorite site. I love everything they put out. It'd be like, Oh, Hey, here's apex money. Also noted the second bitches get riches funnel. Jim, let's transition a little to the apex money brand. How did you come up with the name? I had the domain. (laughs) (laughs) We each own many, many domains. So it's just a matter of like, oh, what domain name works for this project? And Jim, tell me a little bit about what you've noticed about your different styles. I would assume that curation looks different depending on which one of you is curating at the time. 
There's less Taylor Swift when Jim does it. <laughs> JD is very. That, that's far too complicated for me. My limit, that, not my, my litmus test is, do I find this interesting and or entertaining? <laughs> JD's litmus is what would Taylor Swift do? <laughs> oh, wow. Get number two. Look at that. I'm going to have so, to incorporate that in the future. <laughs> and then it just disappeared. It, <laughs> like that. So normally we ask the same question at the end. So we started off with why start a curation site, but I think we've satisfactorily answered that in this conversation. So I'm going to do a little curveball and ask you guys, what will be your measure of success for Apex Money as the closing question? And while I asked that question, they both looked up in the air and went, oh, uh, because did you do I, that too, Jim? <laughs> they both did at the same time. JD, same question for you. You want me to just answer what's up next or do you want me to? What's up next, man? What's up next? Well. <laughs> dog barking. That's what's next. Gotcha. <laughs> okay. I think we're good. <laughs> there, there's somebody walking by and if, if there's another dog walking by, well, by golly, she's going to let them know that this is her house. <laughs> Believe it or not, it wasn't only Ramit's talk, but it was Ramit's keynote where he said, have a, have a point of view. That was his core message is have a point of view. And I don't know whether anybody else got anything off that, but for me, I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Get Rich Sully doesn't have a point of view. Get Rich Sully is JD moaning about what's going on in his life right now. Jim, you're giving us some really heavy thought about that over there. <laughs> I know. He's, he's like, <laughs> oh, I'm just reading my email. I knew where it was going, so I'm yeah. multitasking. You're welcome. It's time to take the puppy for a stroll. Oh, she, she knows what I'm saying. The word take, <laughs> apparently the word take is off limits now too. <laughs> All right. Got to start spelling things out just like it. You guys. Say goodbye, puppy. Oh, adorable. Adios. Awesome. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Tech moves fast. So keep pace with the Daily Crunch podcast from TechCrunch. With new episodes every day, this podcast will give you a quick overview on everything you need and should know about startups, new tech, regulations, and more. Listen to TechCrunch Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's TechCrunch Daily Crunch, wherever you get your podcasts.